Pello. Welcome to my Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. There's lots of hiking trails throughout the world, but uh, this one is like nothing else because the way it's set up and all the people you're going to meet and all the experiences you're going to have is like nothing else. That's this week's guest, Phil Riggs. We'll get to Phil in a moment. But first, a huge thank you to you, my listeners, all of us together as a community around the world. I've had some amazing feedback in the last few weeks, particularly in the wake of my interviews with Kylie Fisher and Jackie James and Karen Kaiser. I really appreciate your kindness. This is a weekly podcast about the Camino de Santiago. If you're walking to prepare for the Camino, download the podcast app on your phone, search for my Camino, hit subscribe and download all the episodes. You can walk for days and days on end listening to the impact of the Camino on people's lives. We're up to 230 interviews. And I never imagined I'd be talking to people around the world with a common love, a common story, a common journey and goal four years after I started the podcast. The Camino is renowned for its energy, its providence of the spirit of those who walk. We're often drawn to the Camino and we struggle to put into words why or even how. But it's one of those occasions where it's best not to ask, just let it happen. When people ask about this supposed calling, I always tell them the story from my interview with Jennifer Wills, week 77, if you're looking for an old episode to listen to between new releases. Jennifer said she'd recently lost both her parents and they died within a very short time. And they were giants in her life. She was in Brisbane, the capital city, to Jennifer's town of Toowoomba, purely by coincidence, the town where I was born and raised. And Jennifer found herself walking almost in a trance, bewildered, grieving, catatonic. And without thinking, in a city far from home, Jennifer walked through a door, up a flight of stairs, across a room, to a shelf of books, and placed her hand on one of them. It was a guide to El Camino de Santiago. She hadn't heard of the Camino, didn't know why or how her hand came to rest on that book. But she picked it up and bought it. And on the train home, after reading through the book, she made the decision to walk the Camino. And the story of that journey, Jennifer travelled with her daughter Tash, is one of my favourite podcasts. The Camino brings us to where we need to be. And it brings us together. Vera Nazarian, in her book, The Perpetual Calendar of Inspiration, wrote, Sometimes, reaching out and taking someone's hand is the beginning of a journey. At other times, it is allowing another to take yours. The Camino provides. Dylan Devitt wrote to me from Donegal in Ireland. A bloke walked into the pub where Dylan works and he served him a drink. And the conversation drifted to El Camino de Santiago, the ancient and spiritual path walked by millions of pilgrims over more than 1,500 years. The man who ordered that drink in that bar in Ireland is Phil Riggs, a pilgrim and Camino author from Newfoundland and Labrador in Canada. He's on the line. Welcome, pilgrim. Thank you. You know, it's funny because we started talking and I said, uh, you know, I wrote a book about the Camino. Uh, and I said, I'll tell you what, I've got one in the in the car. You want it? So I brought one into him and autographed it for him. And um, then he went on his own Camino. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He did. He did. Yeah. And we'll get to that in a minute. But 
How did the conversation come up? How did you come to be talking about the Camino in the bar? I, I don't know. I, I, I suppose I was, I just happened to mention, you know, that I loved hiking, right? And I just said, you know, uh, well, my wife and I have done a fair bit of hiking in Spain. And, and uh, he sort of said, are you talking about the Camino? And I said, yeah, that's it. And uh, he said, I, I, I'd love to, to do that, you know. Well, I said, I'll tell you what. Now, I wrote a book about it, and I've got one out in the car. I'll bring it in to you, give it to you, and autograph it, and probably that'll be your incentive to go and hike the Camino. And, you know, within a year, I heard from him, and he had done the Camino. So tell me, you're traveling halfway around the world in Ireland, from a long way from home in Newfoundland, Labrador, do you always carry books with you? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, sometimes I do because, uh, well, see, uh, from Newfoundland to Ireland, I mean, there's a big connection between the two countries, and uh, it's only it's the shortest distance actually to get to uh, Europe. So. I had plenty of room in my suitcase, and we were traveling around. So, yeah, I, I usually uh, take a couple of books along wherever I go. And and when I go on the Camino, usually I take four or five books, and I often leave them like I left them in St. John, and I, I told them, you know, at the Albergate, give it to someone, and probably they'll read it and pass it along. So. That's that's how it starts. How wonderful. So tell us about the book, because um, if you're taking copies and leaving it around um, for people to, to, to stumble upon, that's a wonderful marketing idea, a wonderful gift. Tell us about the book. How did it come about and, and what was the inspiration? Well, it's really funny because uh, it all started when I read a book about uh, uh, in the Reader's Digest about this pilgrimage that was taking place in Spain, and it had been going on for years. So uh, I said to my wife, now, probably that's a great idea for us to do when we retire. And uh, we did, and my cousin and her husband went along with us, and, you know, I kept a diary from the first hike that we had, and, and um, well, I said, you know, Phil... Why don't you write a book about it when you're finished? And uh, that's basically what I did. The book is, is, you know, stories mostly. Every chapter is almost a story because we met so many people along the way. And, and you know, it was just all those experiences that we sort of heard about and listened to and we had along the way. So it was really something. How fantastic. So tell us about your first Camino then. You read about it in the Reader's Digest. How long did it take you to, till you eventually got to the Camino? And what year was that, Phil? Well, we, 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 uh, I, I retired in 2004. And actually, uh, the first year we got was in September. We went in September of 2007. And we did about a third of the Camino. And up to the point before, um, I guess, before COVID, we had been going back almost faithfully every second year, mostly in the fall, but we did do one in the spring. So we, we've done five all together, and, and we've done Portugal, and we've done France as well. So oh, wow. 2,500 uh, kilometers all together. How fantastic. So what... 
tell us a little bit about yourself. What was your your sort of life's work that you retired from? Well, uh, when I retired, my wife and I were teaching in Nunavut, which is um, the northern part of Canada. Uh, we had spent 14 years up there off and on, and, and uh, the rest of the time I spent in Newfoundland teaching. So I retired as an educator. There you are. How fantastic. What was it like in, in northern Canada? It must have been very remote. Well, actually it was because most of the communities we were living in were like small, isolated communities. Uh, the first one, we went there in 1974, Lila and I, uh, just when we got married, we went teaching in this little small community uh, on Great Bear Lake. And, and we were there was about 500 Denny there. Uh, uh, that was a native community. Yeah. And then we went, uh, I guess we came home teaching Newfoundland for a few years. Then we went back to a place on, uh, um, right above the Arctic Circle, which was a little bigger place, but then we were with the Inuit. Uh, and and the last place, of course, we were on was uh, right on Baffin Island. So um, wow. another Inuit community. So, yeah, you, you pretty well, a lot of the times you were there, you know, you, you went there in August and you were there at least to Christmas and sometimes till the end of the year. So Wow. But it was great, great fun. Yeah, I imagine it would have been pretty incredible landscape, pretty incredible environment. Yeah, yeah. well, in the first place we were in, like in the tree zone, a tree line, um, but then the last two times we were really above it in the tundra and it was, you know, it was, it was pretty barren. Gosh. How extraordinary. What a great experience for you and, and your wife. Oh, it was, yeah. Yeah. We had yeah. a lot we had a lot of fun. Yeah. So there's this there's been an adventurous spirit that you the pair of you has shared. Did did your wife walk the caminos with you? Have have you done all of these she caminos walked, together? She walked every step with me, yeah. Wow. Oh, she did, yeah. And yeah. we stayed in like uh Albergues and uh, in France with Jeets, right? So, yeah, yeah, we had the full experience. Yeah. I, I want to step off the Camino for a minute. I mentioned to you during the week, Phil, I went to see Come From Away this week. Oh, yes, right. Yeah, the musical about 7,000 airline passengers being sent to a small town, a gander, I think, in, on Newfoundland. Actually, we only, we only live 40, uh, well, 70 kilometres away from Gander. Right. So when they had like the, the 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 initial showing of the show, we went to Gander to see the very first one. Wow! So yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, the seven thousand airline passengers were sent to this town, um, just, that's right, just near uh, Phil's place when nine eleven shut the United States airspace. It's a great story, but the best part about it, I reckon, Phil, is the generosity of the locals. So what is it about? your people, about Canadians, in particular your part of the world, that makes you so welcoming, so special? Well, I think because we were on an island and, and uh, you know, for years and years we, we were sort of isolated and it, yeah, everybody sort of had to help each other. So in, in a case like, you know, when, when we had 9-11, I mean, it was only natural that everybody would help each other and help the people who came in. I mean, it was just 
it's I suppose it's part of our our culture, part of our personalities, and everything. Yeah, and and that fits perfectly with your concept of, and this is what Dylan told me, the Irish bartender said that when you gave him the book in the bar in Donegal in Ireland, you said to him, when you're finished, you might give it to someone else. <laughs> and you know, hey, what I, hey. and I thought that's not a very good business model, Phil. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> but you know, all the books I write, I just write for the pure enjoyment of it, right? It's not to make money. It's just... No. And I've loved, that was the first book I ever wrote, and I think that was always my favorite. Yeah, yeah, and we're going to get to the books in a minute. I want to go back to that welcoming spirit, um, because that kind of energy is very important, and, and it, it's, it's very common, isn't it, amongst pilgrims? Oh, oh yes, and, and you know it is. I mean, I, I've got stories, and, I, and later on I could probably mention a, a couple of, of the generosity of, of uh of some of the pilgrims, and also uh, some of the people we met, like the farmers and different people, right? They, you know, they looked us at us as pilgrims, you know, not as hikers. So yeah, they were ge- very generous too. Yeah, and you said there the book's a collection of events that you experienced as you walked along the Camino. What came first, though, Phil? The like when you were out on the Camino, did you think, oh, this is a book? This is a this guy, this person I'm meeting is a chapter. I, I, this is a story I have to write. I have to tell this story. Or did you get home and you'd, you'd sort of collected your journals and then thought, you know what, I'm going to write this down? Uh, well, yeah, every evening, actually, I, I would write down in my journal. And, and I never really thought about writing a book, but sort of as as I went into my second Camino, I said, you know, there's a story here and I I – you know, they're too good not to write about. So then then I got serious about recording everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wrote about the relationships that were developed along the trails and many of the personal experiences that people shared with you. Why, oh, indeed. Yeah. Why do you think the Camino provides a space for people to open up? Um, in your research, how do you explain this tendency to talk to strangers about our deepest feelings? I think because I guess we are strangers and there's, you know, I, I suppose no real attachment as such, but uh, it's just a place where people tend to open up to one another and, and I guess they feel safe in doing it. And, and, and as a rule, I mean, most people who are hiking aren't judgmental and, and they're sort of more encouraging than anything else, right? And I think that's... Um, that was how it was on the Camino. Everybody, you know, um, now a lot of people had a story and that was it, just a story. But I mean, there were some people who, who were suffering on the Camino and, and uh, you know, you sort of, you walk with them for a day or two and, you you know, you tried to lift their spirits, but then they were on their way. We, we, we probably never seen them again, yeah. but you always remember the hardships that they had. Yeah, yeah. But it's nice, isn't it, sometimes to just be a listener? And and I, I think so, too. And I think it, for the people who are suffering, it was very therapeutic that they had someone just to listen to them and, and sort of, you know, be emphatic towards them, too. So, yeah, so I think that was very important. Yeah. Yeah, I can hear your wife, Lila, talking to you in the background. <laughs> Lila's great at prompting me. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. That's true. 
Oh, there's Lila. Hi, Lila. You can join us. But you've got yeah. as much to say here as, as Phil has, I'm sure. Hey, um, He said, Lila, if you want to join, you can come down and join us. Yeah. Uh, she, she prefers. <laughs> <laughs> you, Phil, you also write about some of the legends and stories that have grown up around different villages and areas over the many years of pilgrimage. Can you give us one? I, I, yes, I did indeed. I, I remember the one that sort of, um, oh my, I think was, uh, what was the place, Lotta, where, where the poor fellow was hanged? Uh, I can't quite remember now, but anyway, yeah, that, that was a legend of uh, how, I guess, he and his father and mother had left Germany and they were on their pilgrimage to, to uh, Santiago and, I guess there was a lady in the town who sort of got enamored with the young lad, and uh, but he he wasn't interested. He wanted to go on. So what she did, of course, was she she hid this um, sort of golden, uh, I think it was a chalice or something, in his bag. And of course, when he was ready to leave, uh, you know, she told the sheriff in the town what he had done. So he was. He was actually taken and he was hung or he was hanged. And uh, his parents, I guess, felt the need they should go on because there was nothing they can do. The poor fellow was dead. But, you know, when they came back and they came back, he was still there. And uh, they looked at him and they realized that he wasn't dead. He was hanged there, but he wasn't dead. So anyway, they went to the sheriff or, or in the town and told him and he said, look, if that fellow is not dead, he said, uh, I'll, uh, you know, the, 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 it, I guess he, he was eating the chicken. He said, look, the cock on my table, he said, uh, you know, I'll come alive if I'm not telling the truth. And, of course, legend has it that he did spring forth and came alive. And they went and cut down the young lad from, from who had been hanged. And he went on his way back to Germany with, with his parents. But ever since then, in the town, they've always kept in the church. They've had a special place for like a rooster and a hen there. And, and it's Santa Domingo. That's the name of the town. And it's, you know, it's it's like it's a real legend that everybody who goes to Santa Domingo got to go in the church and see the, the rooster and the hen that's in a special cage there. So that I thought was a great story and a great legend. It is a great story. And uh, I've been there three times. I, it's an amazing place. Oh, have you? Yeah, yeah, it's an amazing place. In fact, we stayed in one of the albergues and uh, they, that's where they keep the chickens to, to replace yeah. the ones in the church. Yeah. And the, that's exactly, yeah, is that right? Yeah. And, and the story goes, well, the, the hospitalero told us, that those chickens in the backyard were the direct descendants of the chicken that was on the table. So we said, oh, wow. Isn't that something? That's, that's, yeah. that's, that's something, hey. You write about your musings that came to mind, and this is, I'm quoting you, in moments of solitary meditation. Have you always been someone who meditates, or has the Camino opened this new door to the inner you? I've never, uh, well, now that's, I, I guess it's like this. Now, I've always been a salmon fisherman all my life. So I find it, you know, it's, a, I suppose it's probably a bit spiritual. I'm not religious, but it's certainly spiritual uh, to be in a river and just, you know, if you don't catch any salmon, it's just the fact that you're in there, sort of one with nature. So I've always, I suppose, a little bit, but, 
I must say the Camino, you know, there were times you, you, you were by yourself. And of course, I mean, everybody, I suppose, there's hardly anybody on the Camino doesn't have some kind of uh, a little issue that they might want to deal with. And I suppose, you know, that's a time when you sort of think about it a lot and you try to work it through. So, yeah, I did a lot of that. Yeah. Another one of your books is Random Acts of Kindness. Tell us about Indeed. Random Acts of Kindness, Phil. Well, I, I, I just finished that this uh, Christmas, actually, and it's a collection of, um, there's a lot of local stories in here, uh, but there is one about the Camino, about a gentleman and uh, on the Camino, and, and uh, I, I wrote that in the book as well, right? So there's a lot of, I, I don't know, I think I got about 25 or 30 stories and the last one I read about was uh, I wrote about was the uh, I guess a little bit on on the COVID and how everybody is sort of you know as there's all kinds of videos and all kinds of stories about people doing different acts of of kindness. So um, yeah, it's a it's just something I it's like I I thought about it for two years and I collected all the stories and I. I, I, you know, I, that's what I did just before Christmas, actually, I got it published. Yeah. You, you, in your Camino book, you write about walking with Mother Nature, decked out in her finest array. Ah, yes. Uh, you know something? There were so many bucolic scenes along the way, right? It was, you know, you've seen, uh, and, and the, the countryside, it was, Lots of times, you know, was absolutely beautiful to look at, and uh, and then on the other hand, you know, I guess a different side of Mother Nature was oftentimes we went through the towns, and of course there was all those aromas from the from the barn, right? Mm. Which would be a little, you know, a little different, but it made for the whole journey. You know, it had to be part of the journey. So yeah, uh, yeah, and 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 in France. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, a lot of different places there in France, which were absolutely beautiful too. So, yeah, yeah, yeah it's I love nature. Yeah, and I sometimes say having the opportunity just to walk. Yeah, it's so fantastic, isn't it? So we're so fortunate to have the opportunity to walk through this countryside because it's so beautiful, and we can really take it in. We're not whizzing past in a train or a car or a bus. We're we're slowly taking it all in. It's a wonderful opportunity, isn't it? Oh, it is, yeah. And, and that's it. I mean, there were a few times when you had, of course, you had the, you know, you had the uh, um, the roadways, but most times it was just, you know, and oftentimes it were just ourselves. It really only got hectic when you got, as you know, the last 100 or so kilometers when everybody was looking for their campicella, right? Yeah. But a lot of the times we were just hiking along and, I mean, I may be by myself and Lila by herself, but, you know, I mean, we were in the trees and everything, and it was just, it was so peaceful. Yeah, yeah. The book, the Camino book, you've got four books, but the Camino book is called Hiking the Spanish, Portuguese and French Caminos, A Soulful Journey. The book features hiking advice. What's one thing I should make sure I pack before I go to my Camino? Well, I, I, I think the main thing is, of course, the, the biggest thing of all is you've really got to have good hiking boots. Mm. 
I think that's that's the most important. And from there on, it you know it's it. But the other thing is not to pack too heavy, right? And and uh, I never experienced too many blisters, but I know a lot of people did, and 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 there were different remedies, but. I never used much Compede. Uh, that wasn't something I wanted to take. But I, I think mainly it was just a couple of pair of, of um, you know, just don't have too many uh, socks and, and, and shorts and everything, right? Like, you know, you got to pack light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They say 10% of your body weight is about the right that's exactly it. Yeah, uh, I'll tell you what. Uh, and and uh, and one of the things I found, we had rain gear, but uh, in the end, I found a poncho was better because it sort of covered your pack sack, so you never had to worry about it getting uh, wet at any time. So 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 that a light, you know, good light poncho was yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. It rained when I was on the Masetta, and the poncho was a godsend. It was fantastic. What's one thing I could leave at home? What I would leave at home, <laughs> you know, something, we met a lady and she had an extra pack sack and she had everything like fancy clothes to wear in the evenings. And I, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't go to, you know, to any extent where I would, you know, have anything only just what we, we, you know, wore daily and probably have some little thing that would be a little cleaner or a little yeah. more comfortable in the nighttime. But certainly uh, a lot of stuff, you know, you, you'd leave at home, right? You, you know, you can pack too much. You know, even first aid stuff, you can sometimes pack too much. But I found that over there, there was plenty of pharmacies, and, you know, so you didn't have to overload on a lot of that stuff. Yeah, we are lucky as pilgrims because it's just about there's a town every four or five kilometres where you can pick up whatever you need, really, if you're on the Camino Frances. Perhaps not so much in in in, in France, um, but certainly in Spain and, and I imagine it in Portugal. I've not done the Portuguese, but I imagine it's pretty much the same, Phil. Yeah, yeah, pretty well Portugal. The, the only disadvantage I found with Portugal was that you, a lot of it you walked uh, – um, you know, you 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 walked a lot on the high, busy highway. Oh. But I I think one the, the one bit of advice I can give Dan was like a lot of people when they got on the Camino is like a race, and and you know get as many kilometers in before the day is out. And and you know we just made a point. You know, don't be walking too fast because. That's when the blisters develop and, and, and the shin splint and everything else, right? Yeah. So that's a bit of advice I would give, certainly. You know, just uh, don't overdo the walking and just, you know, set a good pace. Yeah. Yeah, take your time. You're right. Take your time. That's as, right, yeah. As I said, the book's called Hiking the Spanish, Portuguese and French Caminos, A Soulful Journey. What is a soulful journey? I think, you know, a soulful journey basically is like enjoying the scenery around you, enjoying all the people you meet and, and, and enjoying all the experiences and having a certain contentment about it. And, and you know, it's, it's that that's the thing about it. At the end of the day, you know, I used to, or even I suppose along the way, I used to say, you know, how good is this at all, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it was just an experience that there was times, I mean, I, I, I sort of, 
you know, I, I suppose I, I was overcome with emotion and, and I had to sing. I had to do something. I had to shout. Like it was just, I don't know. It's just when you're, when you get walking and, 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 uh, you know, it's, and all the experience you're having is, is like nothing else in the world. You know, it's, uh, I, you know, for me, it's, um, it's just, it became addictive because I just loved it so much. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting to hear someone like you say that. You've, you've been to some extraordinary places in the world. I mean, far north of Canada, you, you must be mind-blowing how beautiful it is and how, what a remarkable experience that is. And here you are seeking out the simpler things, and that's a backpack on your back and, and walking and finding the space and time to just sort of do a bit of slow meditation. And here you are saying it was just such a wonderful thing. And you know, you know something, Dan. I, I mean, the thing was that all the people you met, eventually, you know, you're walking, you're meeting them every day, and it's almost like they become part, like they're almost like family. You know, it's, it's like you meet them so many times, and you, you, you know, it's at the end of the day, you have so much to relate and all those experiences. You know, it's, it's a uh, that part is really something, right? Yeah. You know. Uh, it's in a way you sort of now with the COVID you create a little bubble as you go along. I mean, you know, and, and especially like when you're on the longer hike, you know, if you're going for not just uh, two or three weeks, you know, you people you meet all along the way, and and you know, it's a it, it's really something. Yeah. Do you have a favorite place on the Camino? If I picked you up and dropped you somewhere on the Camino, where would it be? If I had a, you know, one of the places I loved was Leon. Oh yeah, I just loved it in Leon. I it, you know, the last trip we made, we were there on a Sunday, and they had the big, uh, there was a big festival, right? But just I don't know, it's just sitting around and 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 meeting people, and and you know, um, and and the city itself, it was so beautiful. It's yeah. Now, I mean, Santiago would have to be the favorite place. I mean, that's, you know, uh, uh, of all the places you've been in. I mean, you know, you've you got to love Santiago. Tell us about walking into Santiago for the first time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, we, you know, I suppose it was so built up, right? I mean, you know, we, we, we uh, that was sort of the end of the road, right? It was coming into Santiago. And then we came, we walked and walked, and it seemed like a long time before we were getting into the main, you know, the, right in the center uh, of the city. And then as we sort of came in, all of a sudden we see this massive cathedral. I mean, it was just like it was overwhelming, you know. Yeah. It, 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 it was very emotional to see it. You know, your journey was over, but coming to this part of it, right? And and then, of course, you had to go in and you had to go in into the cathedral. You had to take part in a service and, and you know, uh, the part there where they had the great big, um, oh, my, swinging back and forth. What is it now? Um, the Botafumero. Uh, and the whole thing, you know, I mean, that was sort of the climax of it all after, you know, you had come, right? Yeah. But, but it was also a certain sadness because... You knew people you had, you know, journey with all along the way, like, you know, they were all going home and, and you know, you most of them you'd never see again, right? Yeah. So, and of course, the journey is over. To me, like, the journey was everything, you know. Uh, 
just hiking along and enjoying everything about it was that was the most important part i think was the journey yeah yeah so now it's over and and you know you're glad to get there but it's like okay well when can i come back again and start all over yeah fantastic if i asked you to give me a two sentence explainer of what the camino is to someone who'd never heard of it how would you explain it Ah, that's a hard one because, you know, it's hard to describe it in two minutes. I, I, to me, the first thing I say, uh, it's the greatest hiking experience in the world. Uh, if you're religious, it's going to be a really uh, spiritual or religious uh, experience for you. Uh, if you're just a hiker, you know, it's, it's going to be like no other hike in the world you've ever experienced. That, to me, is – that is it. I suppose, in a way, you know, yeah. later on, you could uh, you could talk about, you know, how it evolved in that. But that, to me, is the, the, yeah. the most important thing. What advice would you give to somebody thinking of walking the Camino? Uh, well, that's what I say. I say, you know, you're, it's going to be an experience that you'll never forget. It's like no other um, hiking experience, you know. I mean, there's lots of hiking trails throughout the world, but uh, this one is like nothing else because the way it's set up and all the people you're going to meet and all the experiences you're going to have is like nothing else. Mm. Uh, and, Dan, what's really funny is that, you know, since several people that I know have read the book, they've now wanted to go and they have gone, right? And, I mean, they've gone, but you know, they're just waiting for a chance to go back. So I guess my enthusiasm sort of <laughs> persuaded them to go. Yeah, how lovely. Is it for everyone? No, it's not for everyone. Uh, I remember there was a lady who went came with us and uh, she didn't want, she never went back. She said, uh, like, the hike is okay, but she didn't like the albergue. She didn't like you know, that aspect of it at all, right? Mm. She's more comfortable just hiking the regular trails. So it's not for everyone. And, of course, other people can't do it. Some people have problems with their backs too, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And carrying all your stuff on your back, I mean, it's not easy. It's not an easy journey either, is it, Phil? No, no, no. And you know something? I mean, the first time we went, I mean, we carried too much. So that's... You know, just getting that pack down, yeah. And there were days, I mean, some days were really hot and that pack sack was pretty heavy. So, yeah. Are you surprised that this journey, this pilgrimage, this adventure has come into your life and and your wife's life, Lila's wife as well? Are you surprised? I, I'm really surprised because when I read that article, um, you know, I just said it to Lila. I said, you know, this would be a great thing to do, but... I never really expected that it would go beyond that. And, uh, I mean, you know, it, it didn't for a while, but then my cousin and, and we were sitting around having a couple of drinks, and, and uh, I said, you know, this is a, this is a, a hike I want to do, right? And, uh, boy, they said, now that sounds good. <laughs> so we took them from there. Now, they've gone, like they've hiked uh, – Oh geez, I mean they've hiked uh, Switzerland down to Rome, and they've they've hiked everywhere, right? You know, it's uh, they've really taken and embraced it. So yeah, 
Wow. But I never, in the beginning, never thought that it would go beyond just an idea. And here you are, five-time pilgrim, yeah. and, and you've written books about it. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and, and Dan, and not only that, but I've, I've read books. Like, I've read uh, probably a dozen Camino books. Yeah. And, um, you know, you can see, like, some of the people who've written the books, uh, you know, they hike, but... They were looking for all the luxuries on the trail, right? It's, it's you know, it wasn't, uh, I suppose for me, a true pilgrim is someone who carries his pack sack all the way and sort of, uh, uh, you know, stays in the albergue and gets the whole experience of it all. Yeah. Then I guess I, I think as well that for some people that's simply not possible, is it? No, no, uh, no. It's, and, and, and I mean, I've known friends and one spouse can't go because they got problems with back problems and hiking and 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 besides they're just not interested in that aspect so it's certainly not for everyone yeah here we are talking from newfoundland on a friday night to sydney on a saturday morning and the world is smaller as a result of our connection and it's all to do or rather it's all thanks to the camino and i read somewhere you said that hiking the trail is like an addiction and you suffer from what you call the Santiago Syndrome. <laughs> Come yes. on, what is the Santiago Syndrome? Now, isn't that funny? Uh, I, I heard it from someone, but it, it is. It's really an addiction where you just want to keep going back to Santiago, to, to, to the Camino. It's like, uh, you know, it, it's almost like when you're finished, you until you go back again, it's all really that's on your mind. You know, it's, it's it does become an uh, an addiction, but also an obsession. And I think that's really what the Santiago syndrome is all about. Mm. You know, it's, it can never leave your mind. No, that's right. And I wonder then, what would St James have made of all of this? A couple of blokes on opposite sides of the world in 2021 chatting via Facebook Messenger <laughs> about the spirit of a journey created hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. What would he have made oh, of all of this? I think, yeah, uh, well, you know, he, he, there could be two sides to it, I suppose. He could probably be totally disgusted or probably I'm hoping he's got a great sense of humour and, you know, he'd say, well... They've taken it and they've run with it and, and they're really enjoying it and, and good on them, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Camino, the Santiago Syndrome. Tell us a that's Cam right. Tell us a Camino story, Phil. Okay, I'll, I'll tell you one now. As we were hiking up over Osibrio, it was, and we stopped in a little town called La Faba. Mm. And... Uh, that evening, I guess when we went for the uh, Menu del Dia, um, everybody said that we had to go to six o'clock uh, a service. There was a monk there, and he was giving the service. So when we got there, he of course only spoke Spanish, but he asked if anyone there, you know, could speak English and translate for him. And there was a lady from California who said she would. So. Um, then, of course, uh, what he did was he, uh, you know, welcomed us all there. And uh, then he said, I would like to have like uh, seven volunteers to come up to the altar. And, uh, well, 
So from different countries. Well, I was representing Canada, so I came up first, and then uh, there was different countries that came up. And anyway, he asked us to take off our sandals, and the first thing he did was, of course, he had a bowl of water there, and he washed my feet. And of course, you know, that was very symbolic. So then when he was finished with mine, I had to uh, wash the next person's uh, feet. And, of course, he also kissed your feet, right? So it was sort of we went on and we, all seven of us did it. Mm. And then after that was over, what he then he asked everybody to kind of join him in a circle up around the altar. So we all went up there and he said to everybody, I'd like for you to um, tell a little story that of an experience along the way. And of course, Lila had one about one of the persons who was hiking with us and she always had problems with blisters and she, her uh, heel was bleeding and we were in Pamplona and we were there in a crowd and she doesn't know who it was, but someone just simply uh, bent down, and um, there was like a bandaid on her on her bliss, bleeding blister, you know. And she she turned around, but she couldn't see anyone. It's like it was almost like a bit of a miracle. So wow. that was a story of an experience on the trail. And then, of course, I I I tried a little humor because one I saw was when we were coming along and and. Uh, this dog was running out of a bar, and he had a uh, he had one of those great big French buns in his mouth, and, and there was a, a he was going out, and uh, the owner was coming out, and he had a great big almost like a meat cleaver, and he was shouting this poor, uh, Spanish to to the dog, right? But uh, the dog got away and had a fine meal for himself. So. <laughs> When we had finished those stories, he said, okay, now I would like, you know, and everybody repeated stories. Then he said, I would like for everybody to, um, you know, uh, have a wish along the trail. And what he did was he lit a candle. And as he passed it to different people, we had to wish for something, you know. And, and of course, a lot of people, most, uh, not everyone, but a lot of people wished, I guess, for health and happiness, you know, with their family. Yeah. And, of course, his wish was for peace in the world. So after we had all done that, then he said, okay, now we got to have three rousing uh, Boeing Caminos. So, of course, you know, we still are, had our heads together and everybody said a big Boeing Camino. And then we, you know, we shouted and raised their hands and we did that three times. And then uh, he bid us, a, a, you know, a Boeing Camino all the rest of the way on our journey. So, you know, it was it was quite an experience for us. How fantastic. How how wonderful. And you detail all of these wonderful stories. There are so many more in your book. And I love that in promoting your book, you say, if you decide to go, I wish you some fine adventures like I have had, like we have had and we will have in the future. Phil, thank That's you. Right. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Good luck with the books with the mission, with the future. I'm going to come to your neck of the woods to play some songs one day, to tell some stories, just so someone calls me a come from away. Okay, well, that's good. <laughs> I'll see you then. And Dan, of course, we're only, like you say, we're, we're less than an hour east of Gander. So, yeah, we're right in the central part of Newfoundland. How fantastic. So keep in touch, and we'll see you then. In the meantime, thanks, Phil. Buen Camino. Uh, buen Camino to you. Thanks for phoning.
My guest this week was Phil Riggs. You can find Phil's book, Hiking the Spanish, Portuguese and French Caminos, A Soulful Journey, where all good books are sold. Just Google it. Vera Nazarian, in her book, The Perpetual Calendar of Inspiration, wrote, Sometimes reaching out and taking someone's hand is the beginning of a journey. At other times, it's allowing another to take yours. Join hands, our collective journey together. Pilgrims on the Camino and in life. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. Somewhere along the way, someone